Hi there, this is Michael Westra with Breaking the Systems of Control podcast. Come hang out with me as we explore and pursue true freedom, liberty, and the art of minding your own business. Welcome back everyone to episode 11 of Breaking the Systems of Control podcast. So I've been doing a ton of interviews and I, I just want to let everybody know who's gotten an interview with me that they will be released. I, I just have to go through editing all of them. And I, I did multiple interviews in a row. So just stay patient with me. I will get them out as soon as possible. I, I've been dealing with a lot of uh, personal stuff going on with the family, with the new baby coming, and a possible new job that I'm going to be starting. So I, I'm going to get to it when I can. But today we have an interview with Owen, and I forgot to ask him if I could use his last name, so I'm, I'm just not going to use his last name. But Owen was someone who was a fill-in for an interview that had a, a time mix-up with the schedule, and they didn't, uh, they weren't on the, the podcast in time. So I, I reached out to one of the groups I'm in on MeWe, and Owen was the first to respond. Ended up being an awesome interview. He is a, a homesteader that lives in Canada. He uh, does permaculture. He's a blacksmith, a plumber, an entrepreneur. I, I think you're really going to like this guy. But before we get started, let's start off with the social media cringe of the week. So this uh, social media cringe of the week is actually an encounter that I came across on the Nextdoor app. If anyone doesn't know what the Nextdoor app is, it's just essentially a social media for your local neighborhood or community. Some people may have already seen <laughs> me posting about this, so if if you've already seen it, uh, I'm, you're going to hear it again. But <laughs> So there was someone who... I, I forget. they were posting about uh, squirrels being a nuisance in the area and tearing up their lawns and gardens and that uh, people need to stop feeding the squirrels. And I, I just jokingly said, just give me a call. I eat them. And underneath that, someone, some Karen commented, that's illegal. And I said, no, no, actually it's not. It's a common small game. All you need is a, a tag to hunt squirrel. And she said, how about I get a tag for you? <laughs> what a psycho. <laughs> anyway. Oh gosh. I, some people, I, I can't, I can't even deal with these people. And she, you know, what it is, she's probably one of those lonely old women who feed all the squirrels. They come up to her, their door and yeah. So, so these squirrels are like her pet. So she can't imagine someone killing one of her precious squirrels. Anyway, let's get into the interview. Owen, welcome to the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. All right. So the listeners who don't really know what's going on here, I was supposed to have uh, Josh Reynolds on, and he kind of flaked out, but 
um, he may be coming on later because there's kind of a time mix up. So I, I took a shot in the dark, threw up on the barter and cryptocurrency trade group to uh, anyone who wanted to come on the podcast. And that's where Owen responded. And he was the first to respond. And we kind of chatted a little bit and he ended up being a perfect uh, candidate. So <laughs> Owen, well, let's, let's wait till the end before we say perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, some of the things that you do um, definitely interest me and are a good fit for the podcast, I should say. Uh, but with all that said, what do you do? This, this is the, the third time you're repeating this, but uh, <laughs> who are you? What do you do? And we will go from there. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, well, I live in Eastern Canada and I uh, grew up in the country on a hobby farm. I uh, kind of continued that as I got older um, to doing kind of a little more heavily the, the homesteading thing. I uh, got into the, to the trades in my late teens doing blacksmithing and then in my early 20s uh, doing plumbing. So I've pretty much been doing that for 20 years. Um, done a little carpentry, a little bit of all kinds of stuff. Awesome. Uh, yeah. And so kind of a jack of all trades when you grow up in the country, I guess that's a big part of the lifestyle because you maybe don't have a lot of money or you're just, in, you know, kind of inspired to say, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, I'm just going to do that myself instead of hiring someone to do it. And as Jack Spirko uh, says, a, a polymath. Yeah, exactly. So I, yeah, I got into, um, kind of, well, we've kind of been doing that. My wife grew up on a farm, like an actual, like, real farm, <laughs> full, full-time farmers. And so we both have that background and interest in homesteading. And that has led us to sort of an independent mindset and, uh, about how we live our lives. I can't tell you exactly when I started listening to Jack, but like I said, it was seven, eight years ago, I think. And he, he, the, the, the ideas he talked about, uh, really shaped a lot of kind of how I think about the world and how I examine the world and how I started just critically thinking myself, even though I was, uh, I was homeschooled. I was, I didn't go to like a government school. So I already had sort of a critical thinking mind anyway. Yeah. Uh, already independent from the system, which I think helps, but, uh, yeah, really, uh, I don't know what else to say. Well, that's awesome. Come, uh, come to this point, and I've continued to, as as we see, or uh, I mean, the U- U.S. of course, lots of turmoil in the last couple of years, and Canada is further down that that road, I think, than the U.S. is. But still, in in a, you know, it's it's things are pretty bad here, and uh, that's really just cemented my resolve to distance myself and, and, and live as independent from the system, knowing that the system really wants to rope me in. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I kind of, um, with my background, I was raised more, a little more dependent on the system. And I mean, my father, he was still someone who was into like, he was an outdoorsman. So hunting and fishing and stuff, but I went to public schools um, we, we were raised in a, a Christian church, but mm-hmm. other than that, we were, my, my father, he worked f- for a, a union with Ford motor company and, 
So I, I was kind of raised reliant on all these systems around me, but I kind of took my own path later on, especially after a lot of the stuff in, in Michigan started happening. I, I live mm-hmm. in Michigan in the United States. I don't know if you have heard of any of the things going on in in Michigan particular, but no, it's just general things, not not a lot of specifics, but just, yeah, when it comes to the U.S., I, Canada and the U.S. are so close and, and connected in so many ways. And anything, um, you've probably heard the the term, the uh, example, but it's like sleeping beside, beside an elephant. Every little right. twitch and move, and we feel it. <laughs> right, right. So I'm sure you've been paying attention to all the craziness going on in a the United bit. States. I, I try not to listen to too much or it, it gets me a little wound up. So, <laughs> yeah. And that, that's one thing I've been trying to stress with my listeners is to just turn the crap off because it just listening to the stuff actually directly result, uh, uh, directly impacts the way we live out our life and the choices we make. Because like you said, it, it, it makes you kind of fired up and, you know, walking around angry all the time. You, you, you're not, you're not making the right decisions. You're not thinking correctly. So it's good to just kind of turn that off. And, and what I, I like to say is to get out in nature and kind of clear your head. But, uh, so you're currently a plumber. Are you, um, I, I, I'm, I don't know how all the licenses work. In Canada, I'm sure they're similar. So, uh, do you have like your journeyman's? Your your are you a master plumber? Yeah. So in Canada, the highest uh, there used to be multiple tiers like that, but before my time, they switched, and there's only apprentice and journeyman now. And okay. as long as you can pass that journeyman's exam, you can work anywhere in Canada. So I have my journeyman's, and for uh, quite a number of years, I ran my own contracting business. Um, so I was kind of, I was self-employed for quite a while. Yep. So are you you working? Well, right now I'm, I'm working at a, uh, industrial, I'll call it an industrial sized greenhouse (laughs) locally here as, as on maintenance. I went and taught for a few years at uh, the community college, taught plumbing and then left, left that and went back to working, uh, uh, as plumbing, but of course my business, I'd kind of let go while I was teaching, which I loved. Um, mm-hmm. but just, just the way things worked here, like they were cutting back on courses and, and staff and all that. And I was low guy on the totem pole. So that, uh, didn't work out long term, but I learned a lot doing this, uh, greenhouse thing. And I've, it's a great resource for a homesteader <laughs> to work at a, at a very large. Yeah. Greenhouse. I was going to say that that's <laughs> pretty awesome. The way that worked out. Uh, yeah, I actually worked in, uh, as an apprentice and plumbing for, I don't know, it was, it was only a few months, but I, I do my own, I do a lot of my own plumbing on my home, but I ended up getting into CNC machining. Nice. Just That's life took me in a different route at the time I needed immediately. I needed to be making more money because of some financial burdens. So in the long run, plumbing pro- probably would have been a better trade, but um, the CNC machining was more money to start off. So, 
Well, it's funny you say that because I'm currently teaching myself CNC machining. <laughs> Are you? I over the holidays I built myself a CNC router. <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome! And so, because I've been doing the 3D printing thing for a couple of years and messing oh, around with Fusion 360, and um, you know, just doing basic stuff. But I love the designing side of it, and I just decided, you know what? There's stuff you can't do with a three with a 3D printer. Especially in like wood, yeah. you can't carve stuff and you can't make mechanical parts out of metal. So yeah. I found I found the MPCNC, which is like a mostly printed CNC. And over the holidays, I had some money saved up and I bought all the parts from the company and built it over the holidays. And I've been messing around, <laughs> messing around with it ever since. I'm trying to learn to do aluminum, like to machine aluminum. And man, that's a little bit trickier than wood so i'm uh definitely in a yeah, learning process once you, once you learn how to deal with different metals aluminum is actually quite easy compared to the others but it's just that learning curve to uh, initially learn to work with metals so yeah but with your your 3d printing i i really don't know much about 3d printers so when you are deciding you want to make whatever you, you want to print out of it. Are mm -hmm. you writing a program yourself or are you, is there some kind of website or something you go on that you can find uh, some kind of programs to, to install and then you run it from there? How does that work? So with 3d printing, the easiest way is to find something already designed that the code has already been written for. So you go on a website like Thingiverse, which has oh, thousands, maybe tens of thousands of user-created items that they've uploaded for free. People can download them for free. Usually they have some sort of commercial use limitation. But um, for personal use, you can download them. And then uh, it's, it's all there. It, you just stick it on in your printer and off it goes. For the stuff I create... I use Fusion 360 and I do the design and then I export it as an STL file, put it into my, which is the normal, actually I should back up a bit. That's the normal format that you would download something into. And then you put it in a program that has all your printing parameters, you know, as options. So you can set your temperatures, you can set your, um, you know, your wall thickness and your layer thickness and the infill amount and just everything. And wow. then you hit slice and then it generates all your G code to a file. And you just take that. I Some people hook it up to their computers. I just put an SD card and plug the SD card into my printer, click print and off it goes. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. I've been, wanting to get into 3d printing for a little while now i just don't have the it's just not a smart purchase for me right now i know they're not the most expensive things but uh, how i am i if if i'm getting into something i like to jump in with something that's uh, uh not low end but not yeah. high end so just kind of middle of the ground quality because the way my brain works once i start getting into <laughs> some sort of new project i go down this rabbit hole and it's, i'm just non-stop doing it i'm constantly learning and 
before you know it, I'm already wanting to upgrade because my knowledge has taken me past that uh, that lower yeah. quality item anyway. So. You sound like me. <laughs> I'm the same way. <laughs> so it, it's kind of, I, I don't know if it's legitimately uh, me needing something. It, it might just be an excuse I make for myself to buy something better. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Or to my wife, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, when when you're uh, doing your, you said CNC machining. You said you're you're uh, you're milling uh, with a a router. Is that you're doing? Yeah. So why? Well, I, I mean, I just built this over the Christmas break, so I'm really really new to it, and I've done. I've just mostly been doing engraving with a, a V router bit in like pine boards to make you know signs and yeah things things like that just to, to help learn the setup and and learn the cam portion of fusion okay so it has its own built-in uh, cam uh you know programming and post-processing when you say you built it did you buy some sort of kit did you follow some kind of plan or design some blue some kind of blueprint how, how did that work out yeah, so I went to, I mean, I'll throw their name out there. I'm sure they don't mind. Uh, V1 Engineering. Okay. And they sell a, you, you you can use all their their ideas, but they do sell all the parts, including the printed parts. And um, having the printers, I was able to save myself a fair bit of money. I think probably 170 bucks I was able to save on this thing by printing my own. And, but they do sell a kit as well, which you can add to, subtract to. Like you can do all these different options, uh, and it comes. It, it has everything except your printed parts and your um, rails. Because hmm. um, you're so so yeah. okay. So I'm I'm kind of picturing it now. So so essentially, it's kind of like a router that's sitting on like a track almost. Mm -hmm. And then yeah, it's, it's, put it's mounted material. and then it's all, it's all, it's all belt driven on steel pipe. Awesome. <clears throat> so all, yeah, all I've these seen bearings before. that, yeah, I mean, they have their limitations. You're not going to start ripping through a bunch of steel and aluminum at, you know, really heavy cuts, but I have seen people do steel on them when they really get them dialed in. And I have seen people do some pretty amazing things with aluminum once they get it dialed in and know how to get all those settings just exactly right to work with, you know, the, the capabilities of the machine. Right. Yeah. I, I would love to build something like that. I, I, I'm kind of spoiled because the, the shop I, I work in, we're, we're, I mean, we have half a million dollar uh, mills that mm. we're working with and, you know, $300,000 lathes. And so we <laughs> yeah. have like the big high tech stuff and, Essentially, all I'm doing is uh, we have a guy who who writes all the programs and I will have to go through and kind of make an adjustment where I see uh, any issues because sometimes he, he'll miss it. it. I mean, humans make mistakes and then I'll, I'll go in and set all my tooling on the I'm, I'm, I work on lathes, so I'll set all my tooling on the turrets, touch them off and. I'm letter ripped. I mean, it's, it's a little more complicated than that, but that's essentially yeah. all I'm doing. 
Yeah. Well, uh, I have. So, a, I mean, I have a metalworking background, being a blacksmith, mind you. It's they were the you know the old school machinists. <laughs> yeah. But so, so that, what kind so of I, things did you make with uh, when you were blacksmithing? Uh, really, anything and everything. Uh, mostly, like it was decorative stuff. I didn't shoe horses and do that, but I it's, I do all decorative stuff. So anything from hooks, hooks to railings to knives. Uh, knives are probably not my area of expertise, but uh, something I've been teaching myself over the last few years to get better at. Um, do you, uh, do you I, use those knife kits that Jack always talks about? No, I don't. I do. I do all my own okay. from scratch. But uh, if you wanted exotic woods, that would probably be a good place to get them. Yeah, I, I've thought about getting into knife making as well it it just seems like i have such a long list of different things <laughs> that i'm doing and want to get into and it's i need to slow it down focus on one thing at a time uh recently i i started i haven't actually started it yet but i'm in the process of building a uh a, a hydroponic drip system nice and I've never done hydroponics before, so this is going to be kind of new to me. Yeah, I've People never are... done. I've never done hydroponics um, strictly, but I've done aquaponics, so sort of similar concepts. Yeah, and I'm, if you're doing if you're doing aquaponics, I'm pretty certain that you'd be able to do hydroponics. Because <laughs> I'm, if I'm not mistaken, aquaponics takes a lot more, um, more dialing in your your levels your your ph levels and your nutrient yep. levels and stuff because you got to keep your fish alive and you got to keep your plants alive so it's, that's right it's you're a, sure trying to find that balance of what's good for fish what's good for plants because they they don't like exactly the same ph especially you see you've got to find that and keep that middle ground but also right. your fish don't provide all the nutrients that plants need. So you're still having to add additives that don't kill your fish, <laughs> but will yeah. keep your plants alive. <laughs> so, yeah, we, I mean, we run seasonally up here because we just can't keep a system going in the wintertime. It's just simply too cold, but still, even, even in a full one season, I go, wow, this, if I was running this nonstop, I'd really have to have it dialed in to keep it balanced and not going off the rails. Right. Yeah, I, I was about to ask how you do that with the the cold that you get in the winter yeah. time. I mean, I'm in Michigan, so we get a lot of snow and uh, a lot yeah. of ice and stuff. I mean, pretty fairly similar climate, I would think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we get. I mean, like for example, th this winter has actually been unusually warm, but la like last year, we we had days where it was you know negative 30 degrees fahrenheit so uh, with wind chill that is but yeah we it gets pretty pretty cold here um so so you don't keep your aquaponics going through the winter no we 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 don't we we start i have a greenhouse so we start it as early in the spring as possible once those temperatures you know aren't getting lower than one or two degrees below freezing at night then we'll fill the system with water and, and try to get something going so that we have as long a season as possible. And we'll run it into October, November, if possible. 
but the greenhouse so, is what makes that possible. So this we're we're kind of talking about specifics right now, but I kind I want to go back and talk about yeah. you with uh, homesteading. So mm-hmm. when did you kind of get into homesteading? Uh, when you say you're a homesteader, what does that mean to you? Are you producing most of your food? Um, are are you only producing a small amount? Uh, so how how much land do you own? I want to get into some of those specifics. Sure. sure. Uh, we have 40 acres. Uh, part of the original homestead that would have been deeded out by the British government um, into this, you know, this plot of land. There was actually two plots that were combined uh, eventually, but um, my dad bought it back in the early 80s and I have, you know, 40 acres of that. Um, and so we, to tell you when we got into it, I couldn't even tell you because as I said, like we grew up doing hobby farming. My wife grew up on a farm. And so it was like, just like that was, that's your lifestyle. So when you say, um, hobby farming, can you kind of uh, reiterate what that means? Yeah. So we had, you know, we had chickens, uh, off and on, we'd have a milk cow, we'd have pigs. Um, you know, things like that, have a garden. Uh, there was an old orchard, apple orchard on the property already that my parents would have utilized. And it was like, we did, they, they would put food away, but it wasn't, they didn't live off of it in that sense. So a hobby farm means you, you kind of do it, but you don't really depend on it for an income or for all of your sustenance. My wife and I, on the other hand, take a fair bit more serious approach to it. Uh, we would probably grow 80% or more of our yearly food requirement for our family of now seven. Wow. Wow, that's awesome. So what what kind of livestock do you have? What kind of things do you do you grow? What? Yeah, so we've got, um, I mean, we have laying hens, and every year we grow about 150 meat birds. Uh, this past year we had two pigs. Uh, some years we have one, some years we have more, some years we have none. Just depends on the scenario. Um, like I say, my in-laws uh, have a, a beef farm, so we, we get our beef from them. So there's not really much incentive for us to grow our own beef. Uh, the milk we get from them as well, but we probably will be getting a, a milk cow in the next year or two. Just with young kids, it's quite a challenge. Okay. Really ties Really ties you down when you've got a milk twice a day <laughs> but that's right something. i was gonna say it's it's a lot of work you're right you're right so we've got uh i've got plant we we about 10 years ago uh, a little better than that now actually man time flies uh we planted some apple trees and pear trees and then i started doing once i when i got into permaculture a few years back five six years ago now i started a sort of food forest on my property on swales. Okay. And so I've been working on, you know, we planted trees in that and we just, every year we try to add a few more of this and a few more of that, you know, mostly around fruit and perennial uh, plants. We have a greenhouse 20 by 54 foot greenhouse, I guess it is. Uh, and probably about 5,000 square feet of annual vegetable garden. Wow. That, that's awesome. That that's my my dream right there. That's that's where I'm I'm trying to work towards 
I, I don't have the land right now. I, I, I do have an acre, so I'm, I'm able to, I mean, you'd be surprised how much you can actually do on an acre. Oh, listen, all of that stuff that we have is on probably less than an acre and a half. Wow. That, that is <laughs> awesome. We, we have, like I tell people we have 40 acres and they're like, Oh, that would be so nice. And I'm thinking I don't use 98% yeah. of it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And that, that's what I was about to ask you is how, how much of the property you actually use because a, a big thing that my listeners have been coming back with is, well, we only live on a quarter of an acre, a third of an acre, whatever. So we can't really do anything. It's like, you'd be surprised the kind of things that you can actually do if you really wanted to. You you could grow a lot. I mean, there was a, trying to think of that. There was a, a guy who owned like, I think a quarter of an acre and he, just um he was growing i'm trying to think of how much he was producing but he he was able to make like a hundred and fifty thousand dollar income just from selling yeah, wasn't produce that, wasn't that a tenth of an acre or was that a quarter of an acre oh it might have been yeah i i, I know who you're talking he's it lives in canada doesn't he live in alberta yeah 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 i, I was I literally just name, gonna mention it's, him I, it's incredible I he's on youtube yeah incredible yeah, if uh, if I f- I'm going to try to find uh, his page after this, and I'll link it in the show notes for our listeners. But that that's a big thing I try to stress is that you don't need a ton of room. You no. you just need to start doing it. And exactly, it, if you start making excuses early on, you'll you'll never end up doing it. Exactly. We have, I mean, around here, I don't know what it's like where you are, but around here, if you are outside of a town municipality limits the smallest prop piece of land that you can build a house on is one acre really yeah and people are like oh i only have an acre i you know it's not enough and i said you can grow all you need for a year for your family on an acre certainly for vegetables now you're not going to have a cow and pigs and chickens you know and all of those things no, but you could easily you could, have your poultry and you can have, um, you can, you can definitely grow a lot. So, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, the other thing we do, obviously, you know, we don't produce the one thing we don't produce a lot of is a lot of our fruit, but we will buy that sort of bulk in season, you know? So when it's strawberry season, we are in the strawberry fields, my wife and, and daughters, they are like two weeks, three weeks. It is nonstop strawberries, and we, they'll 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 buy you know they'll pick, 150 flats of, of strawberries or yeah. whatever, and put it in the freezer and make jam, and you know like our summer is just absolutely nuts putting stuff away. Um, yeah, I, I'm actually I've been considering uh, doing that kind of uh, a forest system that you were talking about in the the back of my lot because it's mm-hmm. already kind of. It's already kind of overgrown back there, and and there's a few uh, mulberry trees, and I I, I want to throw up possibly a few fruit trees to uh, get that yeah. going, and maybe put some vining uh, varieties there, some some ground coverage, and yeah, yeah, uh, I've, I've seen some really cool designs where they're just they're based around one tree, you know, like you don't have to have this. 
you don't have the room to have a whole bunch of big trees with all the different layers in a right. food forest. You, you can do a sort of a gilding, a guild type of setup with one tree as your centerpiece and everything else kind of works its way out from that. Yeah. I mean, uh, they would just obviously have to make sure their, their tree is self pollinating. Otherwise yes, that's true. Depending kind of on what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, wow, that, that's awesome. Uh, so you, you said you, you do aquaponics, uh, are you considering doing hydroponics? Uh, I am actually just one of the things that we, um, we lack in the winter time and our, our, our dependence in the winter time is for greens for lettuce and spinach and stuff. Like there's just no way to store that. Like, how do you store lettuce and spinach and have a salad in February? And right. so we're really dependent on grocery stores for that sort of food. And so I'm really, I for a few years, I did run a aquaponic system inside, like a really, like a mini one. But it just, mm -hmm. it just didn't work well, just the way our house is laid out and, and things like that. So I think a, a hydroponic system would work much better inside. You eliminate the need for filters and all that stuff for the fish waste. And yep. you can just, I, I think that would work more sustainably inside, even though it would cost, I mean, you, you're going to be a little dependent on your um, fertilizers, you know, and things like that. Yeah. But uh, I think that would work better for kind of providing a lot of our own greens in the, in the wintertime. Yeah, I, I haven't really decided how I'm going to set mine up yet. I, I'm thinking, I, I've been doing a lot of research, but, you know, everybody does it differently. So I, I'm thinking I'm just going to screw around and figure out what works for me. Um, I'm mm -hmm. kind of thinking I'm going to have uh, my like a tub. I'm going to have like a rack system with a, a tub on bottom that has uh, all the nutrient in it and then a pump that comes up to another small tub and I'll have holes cut out on the top of the or the lid of the tub and I'm going to run little uh, 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 what are they like the little sprinklers throughout the the tub and yeah. I'm going to have a drain that comes out so then after it waters the the plants it'll drain right out into one of my utility sinks so then mm -hmm. it'll it'll just kind of self-regulate itself besides me having to fill up the the water underneath but so it yeah, doesn't I, circulate back it doesn't circulate that water back through again no and the reason why i'm not doing that is because i've talked to many people who have been doing hydroponics for a while and they they strongly suggested that I don't do a recirculating system because it's a lot more finicky and it, it takes a lot more knowledge and they said if you're going to get into it just make sure it drains out and once I kind of get the feel for everything I, I might try to do or design a recirculating system but Apparently, it's just hard to make sure all your levels are perfect when you do that. But okay. if you are someone who has, has experience doing that with aquaponics, I'm sure that wouldn't be an issue for you. But I've never done 
either. So, right. Well, one of the challenges I have here is water. Um, there's a lot of water around. I mean, it's Eastern New Brunswick. We have tons of water, but I don't have a great deal of flow. So I have a high water table with very low recovery. So for our house, we have a 215 foot well that I can run dry in less than like an hour, less than, less wow. than that, 30 minutes. So in the winter or in the summer, when it's hot and dry, we barely have enough to keep our house going. Wow. So oh, wow. that's, 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 that's for me, whenever I hear, oh, we're, we're going to just dump this water and not reuse it. I go, oh, we got to find a way to save that water and conserve and reuse that water as many times as possible. Um, yeah, I get, I get city water. So yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have much of an issue. I still do collect rainwater, but obviously that's kind of a no go in right now in the winter time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Unless you have some kind of heaters, and at that point, it's kind of pointless to even yes. do it <laughs> because the cost to to just collect rainwater would be ridiculous. Yeah. All right, man. Well, I'm not going to hold you up too much longer. We 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 went for what probably a good thirty minutes once we started yeah. recording, but I would definitely like to possibly get you back on and talk a little more about different things you're doing stuff you're up to in the future yeah, if you're absolutely. interested yeah anytime i i kind of i won't say i have a history in podcasting but i've done a fair bit of podcasting in the past i was the host of uh what's now probably the largest pro-gun podcast in canada um, oh wow what, which one's that uh it's called slam fire radio okay we started it back i don't know when it was like uh, 2013, I want to say 14, maybe I can't. Yeah. 14, maybe anyway. Uh, so I host on that for, for quite a long time and I've done shows with, um, the, uh, uh, oh, shoot. <laughs> the name just flew away. Don't you just love that? <laughs> oh yeah. A number of different, different podcasts. They'll have me on to talk about, you know, blacksmithing or homesteading or, 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 or whatever. So yeah, I'm, I'm very comfortable talking to people about all that kind of stuff. Well, that's awesome. And I'm sure you can kind of tell that I'm, I'm a little newer to this. I, I have, this will, will actually are my fourth interview. So yeah. I'm still kind of getting the hang of things. I, I'm someone who's comfortable speaking in front of people. And I, I used to wait tables for a long time. So I'm good with interacting with people so mm -hmm. it just it takes time. It's a matter of time kind of getting a hold of a rhythm and stuff but yeah well uh, to do it i mean i did a, my own podcast for 20-ish episodes and it was just me i did a few interviews but i found it was a real struggle to to monologue like that yeah and you know that's that's what i found out pretty quick i yeah. i can talk about topics for a long time but you know, you still have to do a lot of planning. And yep. so it, it's kind of hard to push out that content, especially most of my episodes are like an hour long. So right. once I started interviewing people, I'm like, wow, this is like so much easier. So <laughs> let me just start booking a bunch of interviews. So I had like yeah. four interviews booked in, in a matter of a week. So, <laughs> well, what we did with our Slam Fire Radio, Pat, Pa, there was three of us that, that did it. 
And so we all, we, you know, you have that banter and that conversational type show and we did it as entertainment. Like there was information in there and there was a really good community that was built out of it. And even when I left and some of you know, the original hosts, you know, were not as actively involved with the show anymore. They have replacement hosts now that are, have really taken it on. It's a huge community. And, but we found that the entertainment value was a big part of what made it popular. People wanted to listen, not just because it was about guns and it was their hobby and, you know, there was information, but because it was fun to listen to because we gave each other a hard time and we ribbed each other and made fun of each other. And, you know, we were just bros, right? Yeah, there's a, there's many podcasts that I listen to like that. Yeah, and so that's, I mean, when you have those other hosts and you, or even a guest that you can go back and forth with, that makes a big difference as far as uh, the ease of making the show. <laughs> right, and that's why the, the interviews that I do, I try to not make it so robotic where I just have like a list of questions and I'm just shooting them off. I kind of like, I, I I do have like a list of questions just in case I, sure. I kind of go off, but um, I like to just let the conversation take itself. So yeah, go where it's going to be interesting. But yeah, I'm a firearms <clears throat> enthusiast myself. I I've, I've been shooting firearms since I was like uh, I don't know maybe eight years old, and that that's one of the reasons why I wanted to get a 3D printer is so I can build some of my accessories for my AR-15 and stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So we'll definitely have to stay in contact. Uh, how long have you been on that, that barter and cryptocurrency page? Oh dear. That's a question I can't answer. It's been, it hasn't been a ton of time. I want to say a month, a month and a half, maybe. Have you? It's not been very long purchased from anyone or sold anything haven't done any of that yet i've been trying to come up with something that i could sell on there but being in canada and i think most of the other people on there in the states it's a little bit tricky um people generally don't want to pay that international shipping yeah yeah so yeah unfortunately all right man well i'm glad i had you on thanks for filling in yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. But we'll we'll stay in contact on on MeWe and yeah, man. I'm glad you came on. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you have a good night. Yeah, you too. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed that last minute interview. If you'd like to stay up to date with news about the podcast, you can go to www.breakingthesystems.com. Scroll to the bottom of the page and sign up for that email list. Uh, One thing I mentioned in the previous episodes is that I now have a Telegram channel, and I actually prefer this Telegram channel over the email list, and eventually I think I'm going to move away from that email list, but we need everybody to transfer over there first. Uh, You can also stay in contact with me and, and see what I've been up to by following me on MeWe and Float. Yep, I am not going to be mentioning the mainstream platforms anymore. This podcast is also on BitChute and Odyssey. Yep, that means not the platform that starts with a Y. (laughs) That's all I have for you today. So I hope everybody enjoys the rest of your week. See you next time.